0: Our buddies Jimmy and Beth were nice enough to babysit our dog Russell last week while Amy and I were out of town. They said Russell was acting all lonesome and wasn't being very sparky, so Jimmy thought it'd be a good idea to take him to the dog park. And as they were driving through East Nashville, Jimmy turned on the car radio to Outlaw Country on Sirius XM. And our friend Elizabeth Cook is a DJ on there and she was playing one of my songs. When Russell heard my voice, he jumped up in the seat and pulled right out of his funk and started looking all around trying to find me. And uh, Jimmy got on the phone and gave me a call and told me about that. And I'm afraid it's about the best thing I heard all week. Hi friends this is otis gibbs and you're listening to thanks for giving a damn welcome to my living room here in east nashville tennessee this is a personal journal this is a bit of an experiment and i like to say right up front that i haven't the slightest idea what i'm doing but i decided to do it anyway this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter there's the creative individual and the person experiencing it and everything else is an artificial filter. And this is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Adam Carroll. Adam is a singer-songwriter based in San Marcos, Texas. And I have to say, he's one of my favorites. And you can find out everything you need to know about Adam at adamcarroll.com. I first met Adam when I was playing a festival in Fair Play, Colorado. We were doing a writer's round. And Adam was really, really quiet and didn't really talk to us much, so we didn't know anything about him. But it was me and my buddy Tim Easton and Adam. And I played a song to start it off, and then Tim played a song, and we were both feeling pretty good about ourselves. And then Adam played, and we were just completely blown away. We couldn't believe how good this guy was. And I immediately went out and bought a record of his that was out at the time. It's called Looking Out the Screen Door. And I have to say, it's one of my favorite records of the last 10 years. I've listened to it over and over and over again. I've bought every one since then, and I've been a fan ever since then. But if you're looking for a starting point, that's probably a pretty good one. I caught up with Adam when I was in Austin, Texas. And my buddy Cameron Smith was nice enough to let me use his living room to record this. And it was really nice to see Adam again, get to hang out with him. He's about as sweet a guy as you'll ever want to meet, and I would love to have him as a neighbor. But I think we had a really nice chat. I hope you enjoy it. Here's Adam Carroll. The
1: person was just saying that I was uh, lighting an e-cigarette in the old folks' home, which you don't actually light. You just smoke on it. and It's just vapor. And, uh, you know, it turned some heads. It, <laughs> it turned some heads. Um, and... I think that, uh, you know, it's no danger to those people. I don't know why they should give them care. You know, it's perfectly harmless. You know, it might may, may, I think there might be, you know, some harm to me. You know, nicotine is not that great of a drug, but uh, hey, man. Is it I mean, water vapor that comes out of there? It's water vapor and uh, some kind of something else, which might be the bad part of it. I don't know. All I know is it doesn't emit any uh, carcinogens, you know, at least— at least not uh, like a real cigarette does. So uh, nobody should give me any grief about my electronic cigarette, man. I'm doing the world a favor <laughs> by uh, <laughs> by doing this. But uh, yeah, man, I don't know. I've been trying to I've been trying to back off smoking, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You know. Uh, probably ought to just quit cold turkey. You know. But uh, how much were you smoking? You know, uh, not really all that much, but sometimes I'd smoke a lot if I was driving or playing a show or something. Yeah. Yeah, just on a regular day, it might only be a couple cigarettes a day. You know, so it's more of a
0: binge type thing, you know. And, uh, and on gig day, how, how many would you smoke on gig day? On
1: gig day, you know, maybe a pack or half a pack or sometimes more, <laughs> depending on what was going on with me. So uh, that's not always good, you know, for your singing or your harmonica playing. Um, but I think some people like the way it makes their voice. I've even heard people say they like to smoke because the way it makes your voice sound, which is odd, you know, because why would you want to do that? Always, you know. But uh, maybe, maybe so. I guess Frank Sinatra, well, he was a smoker. Really? I heard it sometimes he would have a cigarette while he was <laughs> <laughs> recording I'm sure you know a bunch of them would you know maybe there are some people who can just smoke all day and they say Aretha Franklin could sing even when her when she couldn't talk because she smoked so
0: many cigarettes you know so I'm constantly told in reviews or whatever that I have a whiskey voice and pack a cigarette smoke and I just laugh and i don't smoke and never drank and yeah i just think it's lousy journalism
1: yeah 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 it maybe you were just given that voice and you didn't have to do all that other stuff
0: to yeah, who knows man i would have rather had Paparotti's voice but this is the one i have <laughs> <laughs> that's cool
1: <laughs> yeah he was a jazz musician i think when he when he got out of the navy uh in japan and he played saxophone i guess maybe some other things mostly saxophone this is your Um, grandfather my grand my granddad yeah and uh he played uh a little while about three years i think he was on tour as a jazz musician uh he played for gene krupa and uh the drummer gene krupa and uh but but most of his life he uh was a choir director He always he likes his jazz, and so he taught uh, he he talked a lot about that with me, and and uh, liked it. He told me a lot about uh, Charlie Parker and all those people, you know. Kind of. He must have been pretty good if he was playing with Gene Krupa. Cool man, he must have. You know, he must have. He is good. I mean, I've heard him play, and he was a really good player. Um. You know, and he could play piano and arrange. He was a good arranger, too. You know, he's not, he can't play. He's not playing these days, but he's still around. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I always enjoy I, – I played sax in middle school. I always, uh, wanted to, uh, wanted to impress him by saying I'd stick with it or whatever. Yeah. But I never did. <laughs> yeah. Were you first chair? I was never first chair, man. <laughs> I was, uh, Never first chair, I think I might have been third chair for like for like a day, one time, but never never and i I told him one time, uh I'm never gonna quit the saxophone <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna, i'm gonna i'm gonna keep it, you know, I just want you to know i'm gonna be playing this forever, you know of course, that wasn't true. I quit it next the next year after that, one time he fell asleep while i was i i, I played a uh I had been practicing in a, for a recital or whatever, and and my mom told him Adam has just learned this piece of music, and why don't you sit in here and hear him? He said, "Oh, sure." And uh, halfway through, he was asleep, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, maybe it's best that I gave it up. I don't know, but on my guitar, you know, he doesn't uh, he doesn't like me playing with a capo. 'Cause he thinks I should learn like all these chords, you know. And all these flat chords and augmented chords. He's like, You need to learn some more chords get rid of that capo. <laughs> I'm like, well listen, you know, this is not a horn. I grew up in uh Tyler, Texas. Um, which is uh ninety miles to the east of Dallas. And Think about Maybe sixty miles to the west of Shreveport, and so uh, that's where I grew up and went to high school and stuff. And uh, um, didn't really get into music as far as uh, songwriting until I was, you know, in my early twenties. Uh, just hearing uh, just my dad's record collection. He was into uh, Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan and Neil Young and. John Prine and Jimmy Rogers. He had a bunch of records, um, and I don't know if some of them he maybe bought and some of them maybe some people had given him. Willie Nelson and all and the Outlaws and stuff. He had all those albums, and um, I guess some of my other friends' dads maybe had some of those too. But but um, at some point, I guess I I took his record collection and moved it into my room, and I started listening to him. <laughs> you know, and they were pretty cool. I, I don't know what it is about my dad if he just stopped having time to hear all those, or because he didn't really bust them out. You know, he might he must have at some point that I don't, uh, you know, when I I don't know wasn't old enough to appreciate it or whatever. But it was, it it was almost like uh, it was like at some point they were just they were just sitting there. So I just listened to them,
0: and. Um, you don't have memories of him listening to it. You just remember him sitting there. I really
1: don't remember him him listening to him. I just thought, well, he must have listened to all these, you know, or something. You know what I mean? But I never remember him actually sitting down. I mean, he may have put a few on and stuff, but uh, but anyway, I started listening to him. And I went and saw John Prine, uh, Dallas, a couple times, and that was really awesome. Um, How old were you then? I think I was like uh, maybe 23, but uh, that was really awesome to see somebody up there. It just seemed like to doing whatever, just whatever he wanted to do, just just in doing really well. Yeah. Pretty neat, man. And smoking cigarettes and playing and telling stories and just having everybody just hanging on every word of his. I mean, that, I was pretty blown away. By him, you know, and Guy Clark too, and and all those guys, really. Um, I just, I never really understood how how they got where they were, wherever they were in their music or their life at the time, and then how and where I fit into all that. I could never figure that out. Like, like what that meant for me and what I would do with songwriting, or or what that would mean for me. Period. I mean, I didn't really understand how i could be i could fit into that scheme that they were in you know it just didn't seem possible it just didn't seem possible to me i didn't I didn't understand how a person like me would have any business being anywhere in there you know because those guys had like like the the leather vests to perform in you know I couldn't imagine myself wearing one of those <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i think I think that you know and uh and so i don't I don't know it's a mysterious thing like I think of all those guys, because they have they had fans, you know, from back when they first started. And I had not moved to Austin at that point, so I guess I didn't really understand, you know, where everybody went. I played in Dallas, um, and I played some in Houston and I played maybe once in Austin. Um, I was opening for this lady, Diana Jones, and she had a weekly gig at the Cactus Cafe. And I opened for her and I opened for some other friends of mine that were called the sharecroppers. Yeah. And uh, I'd come down here and hang out with them and a little bit. But mostly I just stayed up there. And, and uh, I mean, I was just totally obsessed with songwriting and trying to figure out why, how all these people got all these stories, came up with all these stories that they told, and all these experiences about, about being hippies or. You know whatever it was they were doing, um, and I just wanted to go and seek to have like identical experiences. You know I just wanted to 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 figure out if I could ha- you know if I could find that same situation. You know uh, I just started playing. I just started uh, playing. I played in, in uh, Dallas at Poor David's Pub. They had a songwriter contest, and so I I did pretty good in that contest, and so I started opening up for. A bunch of uh people at that place you know poor david would give me openers
0: there'd be people touring through and...
1: people touring through like shake russell and dana cooper or ray wiley hubbard or uh and i met lloyd mainz and then i played some songs he agreed to produce a record with me and then after that um i just started started using that to Connection to uh, tell people I wanted to play, and then I got, you know, I started. Then I went down to Austin and, and uh, started playing, started playing here, and I just moved down here. And uh, with uh, Corey Morrow, he needed a roommate, so I moved in to his house, and I I stayed there for about three months, and, and then I moved out to Wimberley, and then I moved to San Marcos, and that's kind of where I met. I met Terry Hendrix and some other people and uh, I spent a long time in San Marcos just playing and then in the Cheatham Street Warehouse the Kent Finley is like such a big uh, songwriter fan and that's where you know, Stevie Ray and George Strait got started and I just really got kind of uh, adopted that place I mean he adopted me as a as a songwriter and a friend. And uh, I just started uh, touring. Um, I I didn't start playing. Uh, I played mostly in Texas. And then uh, probably, probably about eight years ago, I started playing uh, more outside of here and around the country and in Europe and stuff. Not consistently enough, but um, enough to where I could, uh, enough to where I got, go out and see stuff I mean enough times where I got to uh, you know I got to see what it was uh, like and I think that uh, I think that for some reason I think that's why we're lucky here just to be able to play in Texas you know and not necessarily have to go anywhere else um, but it's good to get out and see what it's like in other places you know, because you appreciate what you got, I think, or at least I do. I remember uh, when I went to Amsterdam, and they were they were getting ready to come bring you over there, and they were pretty excited. Or I think they had just had you over there. But I remember your poster was the coolest poster there, because oh, because it, it said, you know, come join me or something like that. You know, <laughs> yeah,
0: it was cool. Well, if you can't write good songs, make a good poster. There you go. <laughs> Get lucky and do both someday.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Spent the summer, a couple of summers in Kerrville, you know, which is the northwest of here. And uh, my, a couple of my cousins were down there too. They have these camps down there that a bunch of kids go to. And um, they had all heard Robert Earl from being in that area. Um, and It was the first time that I had, and nobody knew Robert Earl, where I was from, you know. And it's kind of the same thing, I think, in a way, with uh, Guy Clark or, you know, a lot of Texas people that sing about uh, Texas because there are so many different regions. Most people sing about, you know, like in South Texas, for instance, they have Garner State Park and they have this big street dance and they all gather around this big, uh, I think it's a live oak tree, I'm not sure, but everybody in San Antonio and Houston and 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 uh and further south and, and even out west, they all know about Garner State Park and you know it's like a, a Texas tradition, but it's only really a South Texas tradition because people in Dallas or Tyler or wherever uh don't I never knew about it and hardly anybody I knew knew about it. But but people that are south know know about that place. And like Rita Blue, you know, I think that's about the Garner State Park dance, you know. And uh Guy Clark, I saw him one time play in East Texas and and he said, you know, uh, I you know he was playing uh about to play Rita Blue, and he said, well, you know, when I travel around you know, America and the rest of the world I have to explain everybody the significance of Garner State Park, you know, and nobody said anything. And he was like, Apparently, y'all don't have a fucking clue what I'm talking about, do you? And, and they're like, <laughs> And then I, you know, and uh, so I think that, uh, you know, a lot of like Texas people uh, seem to kind of look down on East Texas there as being kind of a netherworld, not worth uh, writing much about, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, uh, I guess my point being that I had never heard of Robert Earl Keane and, but all these people from down there had, you know, that, that he was kind of like a big at A&M and big at uh, big in that, big in South Texas and San Antonio and Houston and all those places. And i never heard of him. And then, and then some of my cousins had, and they, you know, and we listened to him and, and, uh, him an amazing, uh, guy, you know, and, and, uh. The stories he told about you know growing up and listening to the bluegrass music and using his dad's credit card to you know to, to buy beer and stuff like that you know and i thought man what an adventure like this guy actually did you know is explaining that you know that he was actually trying to you know trying to succeed at something that he might be likely to fail at you know and so like uh you know uh I just never really, I just always thought he was amazing just because he could write all these really good songs. Um, you know, his voice being kind of unique is like people, you know, it sounds, it might sound country, but it's, he's kind of like, to me, he's kind of like a folk singer, you know, and uh, kind of a complicated songwriter. And so uh, uh, I uh, never really met Robert Earl except for, uh he invited me to play at some of his uh, festivals um, in Houston, and then uh, then we met and uh, briefly, and we talked, and uh, um, and then he, you know, he asked me to go on tour with him a couple times throughout the Southeast, and I, and uh, nice, that was cool. Yeah. You know, that was really cool. And I found I found that uh, what I found was that that people up in the Southeast. I mean, he had listening rooms soft seater listening rooms and he had um he had like you know probably some some places that were that were kind of stand up you know kind of semi-rowdy places you know and uh but most of them were like listening rooms and it was probably almost you know it's probably six or seven hundred people in there you know and uh
0: that's a I, big listening room. That's a
1: big listening room. <laughs> that's a big listening room. And then and then I on the tour, you know, he he said, Hey, listen, man, uh, I'd like you to open up at Green Hall for me. And uh when we come back. And I said, Well, oh, well, thank you so much. Uh man, that'd be a big honor. He's like, Yeah, 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 whatever. He's like, uh, it's not gonna be like here, you know, it's gonna be like loud and obnoxious and <laughs> i mean i had been to green before and played there and stuff but i compared to this tour i mean it was like when we got back to green it was loud and everybody was yelling and stuff and i just got up there and played solo but but there is something about a you know everybody says texas and they're all rowdy and everything and uh i never really believed i mean i i knew that but i didn't really i thought that was exaggerated um but I saw that how people up up there are a little more subdued in in certain ways, you know, and, uh, um, and it was cool to see his his crowds, you know, knowing all his songs. And that's the other thing I think that I learned that I got really inspired by touring with him is that um, I saw as Robert L. King's fans, um, all they wanted to hear was his songs, you know, and they, and they knew all those songs through all those records. You know, and uh, so I think what, what, what that taught me watching him was just that um, if you can hang around long enough, and just hang around long enough, um, just longevity, you know, and continue and deter and all that, it's probably the hardest thing for me to try and remember because when things get slow for me, I get uh, wondering what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, and I just, you know. But the songs are
0: still out there.
1: The songs are still out there. And uh, for some reason, uh, you know, I, I realized that it's not so, maybe it wasn't so much about, it's not so much about how many CDs you have, but, you know, how long you keep playing your songs and, and writing more. And those people knew every one of those songs, and it wasn't just from one CD. It was from, you know, however many 30 years that he's been playing, you know, and... uh I think that's pretty special, you know, thing to have in this world.
0: You once told me something about, what it cedar cutters, cedar choppers? Cedar
1: choppers, yeah.
0: What is that? Tell me-
1: well, you know, I don't know uh, the exact definition. I think everybody has their own uh, uh, definition of it, but I think what it is is like, you know, different parts of, you know, the hill country here in this area, Austin, San Antonio, Waco. Uh, and then out west toward the desert, you know, just covered with cedar, you know, of course, as you know. And then even up up around Fort Worth and Dallas, they even have it up there in certain parts. And so I guess they they just sort of have these, uh, you know, I know in the Great Depression, they, they hired these guys. They called them cedar choppers just to clear the cedar away. Because um, what happened was is that the hill country used to have these tall grasses, when people first came when white people first came here but nobody knew that the soil underneath was was terrible and just rocky and so after like a couple of generations of grazing it just turned into rocks And then the cedar is the only thing that would grow on it anymore i've always heard that and that sometimes and i've i'm not exactly sure where the term came from but i know that there were whole families that would like travel kind of like as like migrant laborers even you know to just clear cedar and cut cedar and they would have axes and stuff. But I think, you know, maybe what the term, like what you told me about the term hilljack. Yeah. And you know, I think it's kind of, you know, that also, people in the backwoods that you might not, uh, you know, you might, people out in the backwoods, you know, that are making moonshine and cutting down cedar, and shooting shooting people and <laughs> doing whatever. You know. It could be derogatory. I think it could be derogatory or it could be just like a,
0: Colorful, yeah, you know, depending on who it is, if I bring it up in polite conversation, I might not get punched.
1: I think you will get a thumbs up sign okay. now, don't
0: hold me to that i will see Adam Carroll said <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: uh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, my dad took me bird hunting um I never I hunted deer thing once and I never even saw a deer. You know, uh you know, for me, it just seems like once you kill a deer that the fun must just stop right there. You know? then you have to skin it and drag it out of the woods. You know, with a bird, and, you know, you're just pretty much done after, you know. Um I could see if I was, you know, I mean I respect outdoorsmen, you know, that that like to hunt, you know, and I always just was around people who just like to drink and get
0: away from their families <laughs> <laughs> and tote firearms
1: yeah tote firearms <laughs> <laughs> you know and i mean you can't tell me that you know i think there are some sportsmen that maybe don't exactly roll that way but i think a lot of us do a lot of them do i don't know i went bird hunting with my dad a couple times dove hunting and then uh and then and then goosing duck hunting in louisiana and uh i think it was just the experience of uh uh just getting out there and and meeting um meeting cajuns because cajuns are really really unique i feel a lot of people think that know that you know and then that part of louisiana shreveport all the way over to arkansas is pretty much protestant baptist so it's a lot similar and then down there and in uh where we were um I'd never been, you know, and, and down down in Lafayette and Lake Charles and that whole area is just totally different. I mean, it's Catholic and and like like I, I talked to a guy one time and was talking about the different parts of Louisiana. And I don't know you know all this already. No. But it was just like uh he he was from Shreveport and he said you know, I, I was engaged to a girl from Shreveport, it was a Baptist family, and everybody was kind of you know proper and everything, and then um, and they said I dated a Cajun girl once and I went over to her, to her mom's house and they gave us a case of beer and said y'all have fun, and then sent us off <laughs> 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 and it's a little uh, different it's a little different you know, and I, I just think that they 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 are very uh very unique and they're and they're and they like to have a good time and uh, anyways man i yeah, i just uh i'm 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 uh, that's about the the end of my joke session that's about <laughs> all i got
0: <laughs> well, man i appreciate you uh coming over here and uh, doing this oh uh, hey dude i am uh i'm a it's a pleasure
1: you know I, i'm sorry i we didn't talk more about wrestling i i i didn't have any stories about that <laughs> <laughs> Glad to be
0: able to do it, man. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. If you wanna do you wanna talk wrestling? You know You don't uh, have to if you don't wanna, but if you wanna.
1: You no, know, I'll tell you what, I did I did see the Ultimate Warrior at the airport one time when I was a kid. Remember the Ultimate Warrior? Yeah. I saw him. You know. I didn't ever see a match, but I saw was he kind of short lived? I mean, he had what, about a five year yeah. span where he was kinda at the top and then yeah. It wasn't like Hulk Hogan where He's like, nobody would know the ultimate warrior now,
0: unless, except for you and me. All right. Right? It's a short ride, you know? Yeah, yeah. Invest wisely.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you said, you think you think that, you and I think that we got it bad, man. Fucking like wrestlers, too. <laughs> they got no job security. Yeah. Nothing. But uh, I don't see myself getting in the ring. Any kind of thing, so thank, thank God. Thank God.
0: I'll take a guitar over that. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Adam for sitting down and chatting with me. And I'd like to thank my buddy Cameron Smith for letting me use his living room to record this. If you'd like to find out more about Adam, just go to adamcarroll.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment, it'll just take you a second. And uh, it'll help us move up in the search rankings, and it'll help a lot more people find out about this show. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. I might even read it on the air. Just send us an email at info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.